Hi everyone, welcome back to the 21 and Sensory podcast with me, Emily. Today I have the wonderful Corn on as my special guest. Corn is a queer, autistic, Korean-American illustrator and designer. Their work depicts social justice, anti-racism and all things activism, and they have over five years experience in the creative industry. You may know Corn through atcandy.corn on TikTok and Instagram with their wonderful series of videos all about navigating life as an autistic Asian ace with video topics including their special interests, home interior design and all things art and design. So I'll be sure to pop all of the um, links to Corn's social media in the show notes. But um, Corn, would you like to say hello? Hi! Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. That was probably the best intro I've ever had in my life, so thank you. Oh yay, I'm so glad. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've I've kind of followed you online for a while as a kind of designer and more recently have kind of come across your other Instagram, which is um, more kind of, I don't know, sharing another side of you, I guess. Um, so yeah, would you like to... Uh, introduce yourself a little bit more about you maybe and we like to start with diagnoses because I feel like that's always kind of brings up a lot of interesting questions. Yeah of course so I was first diagnosed with very severe anxiety and depression back in 2019 um, and then I actually didn't find out that I had autism and ADHD till 2021 um, and to be honest like the anxiety wasn't a surprise at all to me um, but the depression label really confused me at the time because like I didn't feel sad. Um, I was just struggling to keep up with the stresses of daily life, um, which made me seek out therapy to talk through all of that. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time um, that my therapist kind of started to unravel some of these symptoms that I initially were attributed to things like depression, like disinterest in things I used to love. I was having extreme discomfort. I was having difficulty with diet, fatigue. Um, and they were kind of like maybe realize those are autistic traits and particularly that I was experiencing autistic burnout instead. And from there, like a lot of things started to make a lot more sense, like why I couldn't understand how to make friends, you know, all these daily activities that I was making these elaborate routines just to make bearable that I thought everyone else was doing too. So that's where I'm at now. I'm currently seeking a diagnosis um, for heads to navigate some other options for chronic pain treatment. Um, But yeah. Okay. And what, um, what age were you when you found out like these different sort of diagnoses? Um, Like, are you kind of late diagnosed? Yes, I would be definitely like diagnosed. I'm 26 now for full transparency. So it's only been like five years. Okay. Wow. And how do you kind of feel about that? (laughs) Like, I feel like it's almost, I don't know, it's kind of scary to know these things so late in life. Yeah, I would agree. I think it was very scary at first also just because I had no idea what autism was. Like Mm -hmm. I only really had very limited representation from what I saw online and in movies. So I just was like, oh my God, this is such a big deal. And it really wasn't obviously because I had been living just fine, you know, for 21 years of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took a lot of like catching up on my end to get through all the misinformation and start looking at more accurate representation And now I'm just like, oh, this is amazing because I've found this great community. So many things about me and things that I thought were just quirks um, make sense. Um, I'm not just some weirdo for no reason. My brain is doing things differently and that's okay. So yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've kind of gotten to know yourself as an autistic ADHD person. Yeah, definitely. Um, It'd be interesting to chat about autism and kind of sexuality and where you're so open online. I mean, we're going to talk more about your social media in a bit, 
but how open you are about being ace and sharing this through like your online content and also just kind of I don't know battling the stigma around asexuality um so it'd be interesting to hear did you kind of know that about yourself before these diagnoses or was it kind of afterwards totally um it's interesting because like I know there are a lot of statistics that support higher rates of asexuality and queerness and autistic folks um for lots of reasons and <laughs> since I'm both it makes it really hard for me to separate identities because in many ways they feel very connected to me like in the same way I felt different growing up because of my autism it was the same thing for asexuality but I didn't have either of these terms so I didn't know why I felt different Mm -hmm. Um, it was very difficult for me as a child to really understand sexual attraction. Like it was always described as this sort of like innate primal urge by adults. Um, but I also had learned sex was like just for procreation. So this confused me. I didn't understand why like sex organs or lumps of body mass were inherently sexy. I also just hated like touching people and even more so like the idea of someone touching me. So mm -hmm. it just seemed like a nightmare and that maybe I would grow into liking it someday. But I realized quickly that like peers didn't feel the same way. And I, of course, didn't have the vocab or even knowledge of the existence of asexuality to understand this. So, like, I just went along. I still had, you know, all the juvenile crushes and I found people attractive. So I thought maybe it was just something, you know, other people were faking, too. Uh, mm -hmm. It actually wasn't until college when I even discovered asexuality was a thing online. And it just instantly clicked. It perfectly described all these experiences I was having. And it even led to me discovering that I was panromantic, too. Mm -hmm. um, but the stigma around asexuality is still so strong and particularly just like the misinformation around it that makes it confusing for people to understand that I'm ace. Like people assume you must be sex repulsed if you're asexual and like that absolutely can be a part of the spectrum. Um, but it isn't always the default. You know, ace folks can have sex, they masturbate, they can have wonderful relationships like I do. It's mm -hmm. just a spectrum around limited or lack of sexual attraction. But there's so many more kinds of attraction, you know, physical, romantic, platonic, you know, that can be just as fulfilling for us. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing as well. Like, I feel like people almost jump to the conclusion that like, you're right, that it's like kind of like sex repulsed. Like it's the it's the very end of kind of thing when actually, you know, it can be all kind of manner of ways of feeling and you know, like you said, do like, do what you want. Like, why does, why does it have to be kind of seen to be like, oh, you're not normal because you don't, you don't like sex essentially, <laughs> which exactly <I've> never understood. <laughs> That's what I don't get. I also just feel like, uh, especially for autistic folks, it's really a way to like further infantilize us. Like, you're just like, oh, like you don't even understand sex. Like, that's why you're a child in your mind. And that's just very upsetting for me being part of these both communities because I'm like, I know so many autistic people that are obviously not ace. I know many that are on the spectrum like me. They range from mm -hmm. everything to demisexual to full asexual, sex repulsed. And like, it's such a spectrum. And I feel like if people just understood that this was a spectrum, it wouldn't be such a weird thing. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like also the fact that you found out about the term asexual on the internet says a lot about I guess sex education in general we know it's not it's not up to standards but also you know the fact that you were told kind of growing up that it was kind of for procreation and not that actually yeah. there's so there's so many different ways to feel and identify and yeah I just find it amazing that we're all having to kind of turn to the internet to find out more about ourselves and find a sense of community Really, it's just wild for me because I'm like, I don't think my sex education classes were, I don't know, bad. I think they were just a product of their time. But mm -hmm. 
it's just so weird going on the internet nowadays seeing all this representation so i'm like man i never i never could even think of an asexual character growing up you know and mm. now i'm just like i'm seeing them all over in these little ways in tv and media and it's like really a cool very like reassuring thing that i'm like oh the future generation like they don't have to go on a weird reddit form you know 20 tabs yes. in to even find out about this <laughs> exactly that like just to be able to see it you know represented on tv and in films and stuff and like you said not having to dig it out is would be such a nice like way to kind of discover it about yourself i think um mm -hmm. and also the fact like i think i said earlier that you know you're so open about chatting about it online is is that scary in itself like the fact that you know you, you are being so kind of honest and does that like open you up to kind of comments and things like that? Like, I think that would scare me. <laughs> yeah, no, the weird thing is, I don't think I've ever really been scared of like my following. I think they've always been really nice. And I think there's like this level of dissonance that comes from, I don't know these people. So even if they comment something bad, it's like, I'll just delete it. I think the scariest thing for me was like knowing that my friends and family would see me posting it about it on Instagram first because I just mm -hmm. felt too awkward to bring it up to any of them at all. Mm -hmm. like, even my closest friend had to find out I was ace from me posting about it on Instagram, which oh. I feel kind of bad about. But like it wasn't a weird thing. I think it's just with family members, like no one approached me about it, which I can't tell if it's better or worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they know that I'm ace, but they don't want to talk about it. But like, I did have some like family friends be like, oh my God, like, are you divorcing um, Raymond? And I'm like, no, like we've been together for like seven years. Obviously he knows that I am asexual. Otherwise we wouldn't have made this work. So it's just yeah. kind of like misinformation to me that made it weird. Like it opened up this invitation for people to ask me really like personal questions. Like, well, do you have sex? Do you do this? And it's like, you would not ask any person that if they yeah. were straight like, mm -hmm. why are you asking me that? That is so weird. So I think that's really just like what disturbed me about coming out. Yeah. And the fact that they were questioning your relationship, like none yeah. of their business. <laughs> like Exactly. Yeah, that's mad. Um, oh, it sounds like you've had to like navigate being autistic, being ADHD, you know, potentially going forward for this heads um, diagnosis and, you know, also coming to terms with your own sexuality and that's quite a lot to, you know, come to the realization of quite late in life. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Like, <laughs> I think I've just had to do it. So that's why I've done it. But yeah. I always have a joke, a running joke that I like to call myself an A collector, because I'm always collecting <laughs> A titles. I'm autistic. I'm Asian. I have ADHD. Um, I'm asexual. Like the list just goes on. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess that's just me. <laughs> amazing <laughs> sounds very pokemon like trying to collect them all I like that. <laughs> yes which i'm like also special interest so even more fitting <gasps> yay we're gonna we're definitely gonna talk special interests. i absolutely <laughs> love people just at, just info dumping on me so i'm very keen to talk to you about that in a bit um i'd also be keen to talk to you about all things design and design industry as a fellow designer i know how how the design industry works it's pros and it's many 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 cons um i know you've worked both um in-house and agency in terms of like design industry stuff um but i know that you've come across a lot of kind of um issues within the design industry so it'd be interesting to just hear a bit more about your career as a designer and an illustrator yeah of course I'll give a disclaimer that like 99% of my negative experiences like happened prior to going freelance and starting my own studio so mm -hmm. um, I don't have a lot of bad things happen to me lately but 
back in the day, you know, straight out of college and I started as a junior designer, um, I was just really naive. Um, and I just thought that maybe because I was a decent designer, like I would have a good time at work. Um, and I did not. I was like maybe one of maybe three people of color at my first job in house um, at this like very fancy kids clothing brand, um, which had like hundreds of people working there. So I just was really caught off guard by it. I was like, where are they at? Like, can you bring them out? Because what is up with this? <laughs> and of course, like all the microaggressions ensued, like there was so many absolutely messed up things that I can't honestly believe I bore witness to like in casting leadership like day-to-day meetings in my short time there which was like maybe a few months um and they would not let me leave my last day without signing the most bulky NDA I have ever seen in my life um so you can imagine uh (laughs) my second job was like at a much smaller design studio and my boss was actually a person of color um which is like honestly why I took the job like I walked in I saw him and I was like oh yeah this place is for me Mm -hmm. um but literally everyone else like particularly leadership were like old white dudes you know no surprises Mm -hmm. and like the same problems repeated here maybe in like new more subtle ways um, like I remember being called into a meeting for like to add more diversity and being ambushed because I thought it was a meeting for like pizza parties and being told that I needed to summarize all the problems with racism at our job um, just on a random Friday. That was a fun time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but, you know, at this point, I just kind of thought to myself, like, man, I just don't think I'm cut out for this. Like, this is also the same time my doctors were telling me, like, you're extremely depressed. And it just piled all on top of each other. Like, I was coming home crying multiple days a week. Like, not really for solid reasons. Um, yeah. I just hated the work I was doing and the people I was working for. And the whole experience, like, over those three years outside of college, you know, job hopping just really made it clear to me, like, how these systems of oppression trickled down, you know, in every industry you can imagine and that there was no exemption in the art field, you know, contrary to what they may make you think at art school being this really inclusive, like creative place. Um, It wasn't like that. So (laughs) I came out very pessimistic that there wasn't any design job out there for me when I was done. And when I had the opportunity to quit my job in 2020, like I jumped at it and like did not look back. Mm -hmm. And do you find like now, you're able to kind of like set your own routine and set your own work day like does it suit you better being freelance oh definitely a hundred times like even like putting aside that like I'm an autistic person who has so many particular routines to do things like just being Mm -hmm. able to make my own schedule and like just honestly not work 40 hours a week like it's so big like I just don't think anyone is meant to work 40 hours focused on a job no, I'm with you on that. I don't know how people have that attention span. <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't think anyone does. I think we're all just fooling ourselves until we get burnt out. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like, it sounded like, you know, you saying you were coming home, like, really upset for no reason. Like, there was definitely a reason. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like you were reaching <laughs> burnout. But of course, like, you know, no one's going to tell you that. And maybe you were masking at work. I don't know. Like, there's so much for you to process in that environment. And it's a terrible environment anyway, that it sounded like a lot. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I was just like, I just had doctors keep telling me, you're so sad and like giving me all these Lexapro and pills. And they're just like, take this and you'll be happy. And I'm like, but I'm not. So I just, I didn't know what was going on to me till later. I was like, oh yeah, I guess this routine wasn't working for me. And the work I do actually matters to how I function as a being. Who would have known? (laughs) It sounds like you have a much like, healthier like work-life balance as well like I know 
I think don't you have like an office at home but it sounds like you still kind of you know have a separate space to work in and live in Yes. Yeah. My office is in the inner level. So it's very structured, like to keep me motivated working from home. Like I always get up at the same time. Like I make a large pot of coffee. I go to my office on the lower level, you know, with my dogs. Like it's very much the same routine I have every day, which works really great for me. Mm -hmm. And do you find that you're able to kind of pick and choose a little bit more in terms of like clients and projects and like organizations that align with your like values and things like that? Like, do you have more freedom as a freelancer? Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, like the past year and a half has been like such a 180 for me because like I had the worst burnout of my life for an entire month during COVID. You know, I was pretty much unable to take care of myself in any capacity. And like, that's what it took for me to start saying no to things and like charging what I was worth. And like, as I mentioned, I started working like 20 to 30 hour weeks. Um, I could still pay my bills, you know, who would have known. Mm -hmm. um, but I just found out that I could not function in a 40 hour work week. Like I need to be able to take frequent breaks for my dogs. Like I need to work on my couch when chronic pain is flaring up. Um, I need a couple days off if I need it, which like is often. And like the work matters so much to me. Like I simply can't work with people or on projects that don't bring me joy. Like working mm -hmm. in the activism and anti-racism space primarily, like a lot of clients come to me with like just the most like big hopes of bringing the most inspirational and needed work in our communities to life. And like that type of work is really what got me into this industry and space. And like, honestly, keeping a better work-life balance has given me so much more like availability and presence to like take on these types of passion projects. And like, mm -hmm. it definitely helps like having that perspective now, um, how I'm grounded in like my work account, Courtney on design, like those are the type of clients that reach out to me first. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't have to look for them anymore. I think I've established that this is the type of work I do. And I think that's a really exciting thing that people can come to me for that. That's amazing as well. Like reaching that stage of people coming to you. Like I know as a designer, you know, sometimes you do have to kind of um, scope out work and stuff like that and really kind of search for it. But if people are coming for you, like to you for your style and for your, you know, values and things like that, that says a lot about you as a person and that they want, you and your input and I think also your style is so recognizable that you know scrolling Instagram scrolling TikTok kind of thing like we know it's you <laughs> it's hard <laughs> it's hard to not know it's you because you just have this really distinct style and I think that's really hard as an illustrator and designer to find but you seem to have found it so congrats on that <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, I will take that as the biggest compliment because, you know, <laughs> artists are the harshest critics of ourselves. And I always feel like I'm like, I don't know what my style is. I'm just drawing weird stuff. And then people will tell me it's really recognizable. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing something right. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's really affirming to hear. I appreciate that. <laughs> and I feel like that's a real like imposter syndrome thing as well. Being like, I'm just drawing yes. things. I'm just you know getting by <laughs> when actually like literally people are like oh it's amazing <laughs> truly I'm like I bought my own house with stupid little drawings and I still will just be like oh I'm, I'm just a silly little artist I don't know what I'm doing I don't have a real job and I'm mm -hmm. just like I am literally living in the byproduct of my work and I'm like I still can't <laughs> take credit for it appropriately so yeah, yeah these systems are so strong <laughs> <laughs> exactly and you saying as well like you know it, it pays the bills like whoa like <laughs> You know, it yeah. kind of surprises yourself even that actually something that you're passionate about can be something you can make money from and enjoy. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a wild concept to me because I'm like most of my family um, works in healthcare, and like it's mm-hmm. not to say that they don't like their jobs, but they very much got in jobs because they know it's respectable. It makes you good money. Um, you go to a lot of schooling for it. And I'm just like over here, like I'm just drawing pictures and making, you know, pretty good income. So it's just a weird comparison to have in yourself. But I'm like, there's so many jobs out there and it doesn't matter what they are. If they pay your bills, like who cares? They're all respectable mm-hmm. jobs. Yeah, exactly that. And I think if you can find something that you really enjoy doing, it doesn't feel like work as much. <laughs> yeah. I will say I have thoughts on that because I'm just like, you know, work is work. I don't think there's ever a job in a capitalist society where I'm like, I'm going to do this for 20 to 40 hours a week and be completely content. Like I still dislike having a job and doing work. If I could just sit around um, (laughs) and play video games all day and hang out with my dogs, I would jump at that. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, if I have to work, I guess, and be a contributing member of society, I'm going to do something that doesn't feel like I'm dying. And that that will work. Like you found the best alternative to not having a, a job. <laughs> yes. I'm like, that's life is about compromises. Exactly. <laughs> and I was going to ask you, um, at, when you kind of left college, was were you mainly kind of doing sort of like graphic design or were you doing illustration at the same like time? Like when did you kind of almost like branch out into kind of illustration or is it something that's always kind of been um, a passion of yours? Yeah, it's interesting because like when I started college, I actually didn't really have much um, drawing experience. Like Mm -hmm. I drew a lot growing up, but like it wasn't very like fancy or anything. I just drew things I liked. Um, But it wasn't like until college, I realized that everyone else had gone to graphic design school with like insane skills and they all had iPads and were drawing out all these wonderful graphics. And I was like, oh man, I got to catch up. So like initially I just did like a lot of icon design, like my senior design portfolio, which is like all this geometric stuff, like it doesn't look like anything you would see I make today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was actually like my senior year. I like bought an iPad and I like sat down and I was like, I'm going to learn how to draw, you know, hand drawn stuff. It's going to look so cool. It did not look cool. It looked absolutely <laughs> horrible. And I kept working at it, like the solid, like all throughout the last senior year, like I finally was getting okay. And I think it was at my first job. I was like doing it on the side. And I think that's when I started posting some of my early illustrations on Courtney on design and like, they were not anything special. Um, and then I think it's my second job. I actually had a lot of free time and they were like, Oh yeah, you should work on your illustration. And that's like really when I went in head first, I started oh. posting more on Courtney on design. And like, that's when I really came into the style that I started mm-hmm. to do now. So it's really only been like five years. I feel like I've been drawing in this way before that I did not know how to do these things. <laughs> Which is actually mad because, you know, considering the kind of following and the clients you've had and the people you've worked with and organizations and things like that, like you would say that, you know, you're 10, 15 years in, like. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. That's why it's also weird. I feel like I have a lot of imposter syndrome because I'm just like, oh, I haven't been drawing my whole life that well. And I know I'm not as technically skilled as a lot of other artists, but, you know, I've come to realize like you don't have to be technically skilled in these traditional art ways to like be successful like Mm -hmm. my drawings are very silly and maybe technically not challenging so people are like oh anyone could draw that um maybe but it's kind of hard (laughs) too to make simple things so yeah yeah I'm just jazzed that people want my art so Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think it'd be interesting to chat about you know you posting and starting to kind of share your work as well as like your own kind of side of things in terms of life and stuff like that so how kind of did you start the um, 
design account before your own kind of personal sort of life account, if that makes sense. Yeah. So my design account, I think I started, or at least I changed the handle to Courtney on design. I think my first year of college, like as soon as I got there, cause I found out everyone else was like posting their work and you had to gain a following. Like prior, this was my very personal Instagram account that I've had since the year Instagram came out. Like oh, it has wow. had the most ridiculous names. Like my first Instagram account was varsity girl seven. And I thought that was an appropriate thing to do <laughs> because I had just made varsity on volleyball and I was very jazzed. Um, so <laughs> as that account transformed, I of course deleted all my old posts, archived them and started posting my work when I started college. And it was like very much like portfolio projects. I was sharing like a lot of mock-ups, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily like illustrations and things. Um, but as I got into illustration, I started posting stuff more often. Um, and then I had a pretty like solid feed of stuff. And then I think it was around 2020 was when I started doing like series about um, racism and activism. And this is about the same time I went viral for this whole post I made on a guide to white privilege. And that's really like where it took off. And I was like, oh man, maybe I can only post this stuff on my account. Like I don't even care about like boring design stuff. Who cares about drawing dogs? I want to draw about systemic racism. And <laughs> that's kind of how it started on the design account. Mm-hmm. That's quite nice. I think that's nice though, that like you can post about whatever the hell you want and you can draw, you know, something as, you know, um, not small, but like as kind of chill, like, uh, like dogs and stuff like that all the way to like, Mm -hmm. you're not boxing yourself in like, you know, just one kind of area. You're like, I can do a bit of everything and why shouldn't you kind of thing? <laughs> exactly. I think too, it's just like, I don't know, professors will tell you in design school, they're like, you need to find your niche and like, just stick to it. And I'm like, that's great, I guess. But also we're people, we're changing all the time. We have multiple interests. We care about many things. So yeah. I'm just like, I find it weird when people's, I don't know, lives are around, or I guess just their Instagram account is around one singular thing. Like there's such a multitudes in people in their work. So I'm like, yeah, I post the most random stuff sometime, but like they all <laughs> feel like me. So I'm like, there, there's a common thread. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you about your maximalist kind of home decor style, because again, a bit like your kind of arts art and kind of uh, illustration style, it's very recognizable. And I also feel like the internet has strong opinions on people's home decor. Um, <laughs> don't know if you've come across <laughs> some uh, yes. strong comments. Maybe a couple uh, times. <laughs> maybe a few. Um, but yeah, how, how did you kind of, you know, obviously you said, you know, you bought this house with the kind of money that you've worked towards. Like, how did you begin to make it feel like you? Yeah. No, I think it goes further back because like I am just like the biggest interior design nerd. Like my mom and I watched HGTV for hours every day growing up and like it was definitely a bonding activity, but like I just love the art of it like so much. Like I was that very hectic kid who was constantly repainting everything in my room. Like I was making ridiculous DIYs, um, redecorating things from like upcycled dollar store things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my mom was very much protesting all of this, but if I did it on a budget, it was okay. Um, Okay. So I was like really into decorating my room growing up. Like I would have these really elaborate room themes. Like it was all Barbie and then it was all dogs. It was all watermelon. (laughs) Like, I don't even know how you have a watermelon themed room, but I did. It was pink and green. The ceiling was green. It was horrid. Um, I did monochromatic purple in high school because I was like in my little emo phase. Um, And then it was all Twilight themed. um, And that's exactly what you thought it would look like. 
Uh, so it wasn't until my partner and I moved together in college that like I really got the chance to do like a whole apartment and like it was all chevron marble gold and like mint green like an expected 2016 fashion Mm -hmm. and like luckily my tastes have like changed a little bit since then um but I only really got into thrifting when we rented our first house which I think was like 2020 and like I got a taste of painting and like renter friendly projects And Mm -hmm. I really got into thrifting because like my home decor budget was super limited. I was in college and I was just scrolling on Facebook Marketplace for like hours every day um, and started like trolling Goodwill every weekend. Um, It's really been an evolution to find my current style, which I like to say is like pastel maximalism meets like a kitschy dollhouse. But like, I'm just as excited about decorating my house now as I was with my little Twilight themed room back then. Like Mm -hmm. the collections have like just gotten bigger. I have more Pokemon, salt and pepper shakers, fake food, stuffed animals, books, you know, now that I just have the fun space and time. Mm -hmm. But it like really does feel like a big roundabout moment for like the little corn that loved their Barbie themed room. Because I feel like (laughs) I haven't changed at all. I just have more time and availability to do it. Yeah. And I think also if you're living and working in your space, I mean, even if you were just living in your home, like you want it to feel like cozy and comfortable and reflect a bit of, you know, you and your partners, like the style and stuff. So I think it's, it's nice that you've been like, let's, you know, let's go with it. Let's, you know, really make it our own. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. Like I am, sometimes I don't leave my house for weeks. So I'm like, in my perspective, this is my whole world. It's my dog's whole world and my partner. We're here like every day. Yeah. So I'm like, why wouldn't I make it a fun place that I would feel at home? Like I exactly. could care less about what other people think when I am the one that is here. Mm-hmm. And I also think as an artist, like I feel like it helps kind of inspiration wise and kind of, you know, being surrounded by the things that you love can kind of impact your work and maybe even like your illustration style and stuff like that like you know all the collections that you have like you're saying about the salt and pepper shakers and things like that like Mm -hmm. you know do you find you know it's kind of inspiring to have these things like on show it's nice to see these things (laughs) definitely like I don't know if they're like directive creatively inspiring like it's hard for me to even like understand what creativity is but Mm -hmm. I'm like I know it feels good to be surrounded by these things like I know I have visual stims I stare at things in my house for hours even though I know they're already there I bought them but I just really enjoy looking at colorful shiny soft things so Mm -hmm. I think it just boosts my mood makes me a happier person and I'm more inclined to be like oh maybe I should work so I can get more of these things and I think Mm -hmm. that's my motivation (laughs) Mm -hmm. just to just to add to it I think that's great (laughs) yeah also like it's really nice how much like your home features in you know things like your TikToks and like Instagram reels and things like that because you get a real sense of who you are and your sort of um you know like personal style as well as kind of you know the more um I don't know like autistic side of you when you're talking about like you know sensory issues and things and I really like your video series of the like three word um, autistic horror stories and like you just like you know just like flopping on a beanbag or like a sofa or something <laughs> like that like I just love that you kind of bring it into things as well like it feels more like personable but um yeah the the horror story things is every time I see you do like a different one like do you do you feel like they're almost like kind of like comedic like skits in a way or like how do you see them <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely comedic skits. Like, it's weird. Like, this is embarrassing to admit, but, I, like, I've always wanted to be, like, an internet personality growing up. Like, I had multiple YouTube accounts with friends that never did that well, that I will take to my grave the names of them. But, like, I fully <laughs> produced full comedic skits with my friends for years Aww growing up like that's what like I tried to be a beauty vlogger on YouTube like I've always just had this desire to I don't know be in the public which is weird as an autistic person like oh you guys don't like to be perceived and it's like I do and I don't I just yeah. like sharing things I feel like I've always just been a very bubbly and outgoing person and it's really <laughs> validating to hear that my space shines through so much because I think it's big for me too just like also being autistic I get really bored easily with other people's videos about autism like the content is super like great and like I find the people like super interesting to listen from but I'm just like oh I have no attention span and if you don't have pretty things yeah. playing in the background or things for me to look at I just don't pay as much attention so I feel like if I can integrate that as much as I can in my content because I'm just like oh I want the subtitles to look really nice like I want the backgrounds to be fun like I want mm -hmm. it to be a full package because like that's what I want to see so mm -hmm. I'm glad that that shines through in some way but yeah I like the comedic skits I Definitely people will describe me as like a jokester. So yeah, I hope that shows through because I'm always thinking up of stupid things and hopefully making them into TikToks if they're funny enough. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And you can see, you can see the amount of like time and effort that goes into it because like, you know, you're saying about having like nice captions and stuff and like just the way you do like, I think it's like hand drawn elements or like, you know, like over the top of the videos, like, I don't know, like titles and things like that. Like it just really, oh, totally. yeah, I can... I can only imagine how long those kind of things take and like doing thumbnails and things like that but it does make like all the difference it makes it so much more like visually enticing so I appreciate um. that I also think that's just the artist in me because I'm like early Instagram I'm like your feed has to look so good and I'm still stuck yeah. in that belief that I'm like oh my feed has to look so curated and perfect so I'm like mm -hmm. I always have to write out little cute little titles so it looks good on my feed and take good photos so I'm mm -hmm. glad someone notices that because it matters <laughs> to me I know you can't even see them on the videos when you're scrolling past them but I'm like oh if someone goes on my feed I want it to look aesthetic so yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, I feel that like with the grid, you're like, oh, I need it to kind of, you know, sit together well. Like you don't want one of yes. the kind of images to stick out too much. I, yeah, I, I that. legitimately have a preview app where I like mock up <gasps> my grid and Me move too. around photos and stuff because like it matters. You can't just go in there like not knowing what you're going to put down. Like it yeah. could turn out a mess. So mm -hmm. yes, I'm all about structure and planning and every aspect, even stuff that looks like it would be spontaneous. It is not. Never. With <laughs> it me. is all pre-planned and we love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and talking of like kind of, um, you know, pre-planning things and that side of um, the business stuff that you do, like how do you balance obviously your freelance work, but your um, lovely online shop that you have, like how do you kind of how do you manage both of those together? And also the admin that comes with running a business, how, <laughs> how? <laughs> yes, these are very good questions. Like I'll be completely honest, like my shop is not that successful and that's probably what helps me balance it because if I was, you know, drowning in orders, I could not do it. Like I think mm -hmm. the few times that I had a big drop where I had to pack a hundred orders in a weekend, I was like crying because I could not handle it. Yeah. But like, most of the time, I just have stuff stocked in my shop, like, you know, prints and stickers and stuff, because, like, people asked for it specifically, and so when someone asked me, like, oh my god, where do you sell your art? I can be like, yeah, it's here. 
you can yeah. buy it. And that's really the only purpose I have a shop. Like I have a lot of qualms with like making a lot of waste. So I don't like making lots of products. Like everything I've made is like recyclable paper products. I want to ship things efficiently as I can, but it's like, I don't really have big desire to have a lengthy shop because like, I don't like making products that much. I feel like mm -hmm. I like doing services and stuff. Cause like, I don't know, waste wise, they feel better. I know that digital waste is a thing too. Um, but yeah, I'm just not that big into making things. And I think that probably helps because it's never been that big of a work. I think probably just balancing the admin side with doing yeah. my design stuff has probably been the most challenging part. Cause like I had no desire or I had no, I did not know that I would need to spend multiple hours every morning responding to emails and writing mm -hmm. contracts and sending invoices <laughs> and going in client meetings. Like I thought I could just make art all day and, mm -hmm. you know, sign out. No, like half my day is admin stuff. And luckily I'm somewhat good at it. So it doesn't bother me. But like, I was really bad at gauging my time when I first started freelancing because I thought I had, you know, an eight hour workday for design stuff. No, like tops, you have two to three hours to actually do design tasks. And that was like a really big realization I had to have. So a mm -hmm. lot of adjustments, a lot of figuring out on my own. Like, I think I was really unsuccessful for the first year freelancing because I didn't realize all these things and I just mm -hmm. had to figure them out as I went. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Because like you kind of think of other job roles, but actually I think a lot of people don't understand that as artists and designers, like you, you kind of do every role. You do the art, you do the marketing, you do the mm -hmm. um, kind of, I don't know, outreachy trying to get client side of things, but you even do like the financial stuff, like the tax returns and things like that. Like you have to be like, an all-rounder almost which is kind mm -hmm. of um terrifying but I get what you're saying about like your shop like it's kind of almost like a blessing in that it's not <laughs> like I see some like I've um watch a lot of like people that do like illustration vlogs like um I think is it Fran Menzies and like Cheyenne Barton um and they you know they're packing like 900 orders like yeah. or like Patreon like kind of shipping every month and I'm just like I don't know how you have a life outside of constantly shipping things. Um, <laughs> Honestly, at I that just, point, uh, I would, I would definitely outsource that work. I am very much that person who will hire someone when I need to yeah. do it. Like I had my best friend who also was a design major and stuff. Like they actually worked for me for a few months back in 2020 when I needed help with all this stuff. And mm -hmm. prior to that, we even had like a dog bandana business together. And like, they're still my very best friend. But I think that's why <laughs> I had a lot of skills like going into freelance. I was just like, oh, I ran a dog bandana business for several years that like <laughs> did pretty well. I was shipping out products. I was making them. So I felt like I had some of those fundamental skills to do those mm -hmm. things. But like, they don't teach you that stuff in school. They don't teach you that stuff in life. Like you just learn how to draw pictures. And I think it's very jarring just in any industry in general that's in the creative space when you find out that you have to do all these things on your own, like all the finance stuff, it is terrifying. And like, mm -hmm. I'm lucky that I'm a very analytical person and I love staying organized. Like my Asana board is honestly like <laughs> a beauty that should be studied because my whole life <laughs> is on there. If I die, look at my Asana board and everything will be okay. But yeah, it's really freaking challenging to be a freelancer. It's not easy. And I can't imagine doing that with like a full-time shop. I think that's yeah. why so many of those artists I see on Instagram, like that is mostly their full-time gig and they take on a lot less commission stuff.
stuff than I do. So I definitely mm-hmm. feel like there's finding a balance. Like you don't have to do all that admin stuff if you don't want to. You can focus more on shipping products and doing stuff like that. But yeah, taxes catch up to us all. So we all got to yeah. do those. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you're saying about your Asana board as well. Like I feel like, oh yeah. Oh, like also like the world of kind of making templates for things like that as well is just it's so satisfying but like you said it's kind of almost like um a bit of a kind of like um bible in that if anything goes wrong (laughs) you just just direct people that way like (laughs) that's that's a great idea (laughs) honestly i'm like asana goes past my work bounds to full transparency my whole personal life is mapped out on asana too like i put all my meetings like all my like when i'm hanging out with friends anything personal it's all on there too like it's all categorized so i'm like that really (sighs) is my bible in that regards (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's so satisfying as well like just seeing the structure in front of you because I don't know how people don't like people exist without like you know lists and things like I'm I'm a real kind of like notion person and having like notion like templates and things like that and I just think like Mm -hmm. if people aren't writing this stuff down how are people doing things without this (laughs) these tools yeah Honestly, I'm like, I don't know if it's the memory or just the confidence, but my partner is very much that person, which is maybe why we're compatible, because they probably <laughs> never organized anything really in their life on a big scale. But I'm like, they'll have an appointment and not put it in their calendar and oh. just like, remember to go. Like, <laughs> what is that? I have to have like 20 reminders. Like, it'll be on my calendar. I will still miss something. So it's like, yeah, if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't exist in my book. Mm-hmm. And like, also like, especially like with like admin stuff and paperwork and things like I know where stuff is to find when, you know, I need a form of ID or like, you know, important mm-hmm. paperwork. But like the friends I, I know just just don't have any system or fo- or even just like a physical folder binder thing in place. And I'm like, how how are you living? <laughs> I mean, me that's. Out. That, that's valid I'm just like I, I'm kind of envious of it honestly I think about yeah. that all the time I'm just like people don't have to do all these things I'm like oh must be nice but I'm like I know <laughs> our brains are different it's okay we make it work but I'm yeah like, oh, I wish <laughs> that's very true um so you mentioned dog bandanas and that got me thinking about your dogs and your wonderful dogs called Bean and Chappy and they are so damn cute. And can you tell us more about them? <laughs> Thank you. I will literally take any sliver of invitation to talk about them. Um, so <laughs> it's much appreciated that you asked. They are the literal loves of my life outside my actual Aww. spouse, Raymond. But like, even he knows, like, not to question the bond I have with our dogs. <laughs> um, our older pup, Bean, who's actually named Adobe, and that is like the worst name you could name your dog as a design student, because oh I thought that God. was really fun and quirky, which is why I don't <laughs> use it. Um, and we just like Bean more. That suits his personality. Um, but he's seven years old, and we adopted him from the Oregon Humane Society like on a whim after a series of like very traumatic dog attacks I had with our previous dog which honestly is like a full 10 therapy session that I could go into Mm -hmm. um but he's a corgi terrier mix he's like the first dog that really made me love dogs and like quite honestly he's like the most lovable and equally stupid dog you'll ever meet (laughs) like unless you're another dog or delivering a package um which he will always square up with you um Choppy, the larger pup, is around three years old, and we also got her from a shelter, and she's actually like a Malinois greyhound mix. Um, Her full full name is actually Ochako, 
Um, yes, from My Hero Academia, which is very cringe, so don't judge me. <laughs> um, we usually call her choppy, and she is just like the complete opposite of Bean. Like, she's incredibly smart. It's like scary the type of eye contact she makes with you. Like, she sees into your soul. Um, but she's also incredibly clumsy, and because she was astray, she's terrified of people. So she will not meet anyone besides us. So it's like a special little gift that she graces us with her presence. Um, but she's obsessed with other dogs, and especially Bean, um, which is much to his dismay. But they they get along. They're like mm-hmm. you know quirky siblings, and yeah, I love them so very much. Oh so cute like I was um looking at pictures oh, that sounds really weird I was just stalking your dogs um but <laughs> as you should as you should exactly like like the matching jumpers please can we talk about this like I'm oh I'm obsessed like they're both just like <laughs> chilling on your bed in like matching jumpers with you like it's so that cute. was literally a project just for me. I'm like, I don't even care if anyone buys these. The fact that I will get a matching sweater with my two dogs is all mm-hmm. I needed to get mm-hmm. started on that. So a plus that it got funded, but oh my god, them and their little sweaters kills me. <laughs> so cute, and also in the like Kickstarter picture in the background, like the color coordinated like Pokemon. <laughs> is just the most satisfying thing ever so thank you for that (laughs) that is literally like the favorite part of my home like I've always had a lot of Pokemon plushies and when I found out that I could have enough to color code them I was like (laughs) this changes things everything will be color coded yes (laughs) amazing like it's just so satisfying to have matching jumpers and coordinated shelves and oh I just yeah all the inspiration one day when I own my own home this is I'm just gonna absolutely make my mark on it and I already have color coordinated bookshelves like you can't stop me like (laughs) yes I am all for it I am rooting for you to live these color-coded dreams because you deserve it on a bigger scale (laughs) it's just so oh it's so visually satisfying to just look at my books and also like I kind of feel like I know what book I'm looking for by the color kind of thing. I don't know if that's a designer thing, but <laughs> yes, yeah. I always have to describe that to people because they're just like, why are your bookcase like color coded? Like, how are you able, how are you ever going to find something? And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't remember books by their cover? Yeah. Like I remember every book by the cover, like yeah. the color matters so much to me. So I'm like, it makes complete sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know where, you know what yeah. kind of section to go to. So yeah, I'm with exactly. you on that. <laughs> um, kind of touched upon special interests a bit there with Pokemon but do you have any other special interests that you'd like to info dump um on I mean I know we've mentioned your dogs and they are a life (laughs) special interest (laughs) but um yeah is there anything else that you would say that you kind of have a real like intense interest in totally like you know it always makes me a little like sad to say that nearly all of my special interests have just become my work like art interior design fashion like these are all big parts of my freelance work and social media so like Mm -hmm. I already live and breathe them on a daily basis um but some of my special interests that like outside of art or of course my dogs but dogs in general I know all the dog breeds I love that so much um Pokemon Mm -hmm. specifically the first generation because this is what I grew up with I had the Mm -hmm. full season on VHS. I memorized all the numbers of all the Pokemon. And you'll notice that's mainly the Pokemon plushes I have is all first gen. Um, And like some very random video games that I got hyper fixated on have become special interests. Like 
RuneScape, which is very obscure, but I played this game every day for 10 years. Um, Animal <laughs> Crossing is definitely a big one. Um, and of course, The Sims, because I had to live out my interior design dreams before actually getting a place. So yeah. yeah. Oh, The Sims is a necessary kind of rite of passage, I feel, in terms of decorating yeah. homes. <laughs> If not, that should just be a trait for like AFAB autistic people to get diagnosed. It's always Sims. Like every person yeah. I talk to, like, I love the Sims. And I'm like, yes, you can organize your whole life and make the perfect life in the Sims. It's <laughs> exactly. amazing. Yeah, it really is. And you, you mentioned um, about kind of fashion. And I know that you're really like, I'm going to say an advocate for like dopamine dressing. And it's interesting, like, obviously, like, the kind of colors from your home are very um, bold and so are the colors within what you wear and things but also I just love that you like talk about like you know the labels and stuff and the sensory aspect of, of you know clothing because it can look great but it doesn't always feel great <laughs> how do you yes. how do you balance how do you manage that with clothing <laughs> Yeah, it's big because like I am a very big like dopamine dresser, but I find that a lot of dopamine dressing is more just about like color and textures and stuff. And like, I mm. love color. Um, I do not like texture. I have so many problems with sensory things. I hate layering clothes. And I know those are like the two things they do in all dopamine dressing videos. They're like layering all this cool stuff, putting on bracelets and necklaces and all this stuff. And I'm like, I cannot wear any of that. Yeah. So it's been this like whole big contradiction where I'm like oh well I also think dopamine dressing is about wearing what brings you joy in terms of sensory things because like I am not gonna wear tight clothes because they don't bring me joy and I'm not wearing mm -hmm. them for other people I'm wearing them for me so a big part is like oh I can still wear colorful items but um yeah I can wear them in like an oversized like sweatshirt I love bright pants but I can't wear anything tight so you'll never see me in a pair of skinny pants in my life they're always wide leg it's just always a balance too of like finding the right brands too can be really challenging. Like I always have to, you know, kind of like sample buy stuff and find out if I like their textures and stuff, mm -hmm. if the sizing fits me, because we all know pant sizing is like literal hell. And yeah. I will literally have to buy like three different sizes just to find one. But I've just found like I can only buy pants with elastic waistbands. Like I can only buy stuff with this fabric. So it just takes a lot more research, which like honestly, I was already doing for a lot of my clothing. Like I've always had a special interest in fashion. So I would spend hours and hours scrolling on every single like retailer you can imagine online. So it's just mm -hmm. like another step I've added into my routine and like now that I have some brands, I know that like 90% of their stuff always works for me. Like I just kind of stick to them and mm -hmm. I'll try to do as much as I can with color, but I'm just like layering stuff is still a challenge for me. So yeah, I, I still feel like I have to be very careful in the stuff I buy. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you ever like do it where like you find like the perfect fitting jeans or like the best feeling t-shirt and just like bulk buy them in different colors yes. or anything like yeah okay great I am <laughs> you so freaking guilty of that like <laughs> ugh, my closet is like duplicates of everything oh. and I have like 10 pairs of the same pants but the worst thing is is like oh I like my sizing increase this past year so like my 10 pants that are all the same exact style and different colors they don't fit perfectly and then I had to restart the process because the next oh. size was slightly too big so yeah fluctuating bodies also make it very challenging but I'm like when something does work I'm like I will buy a hundred if I can mm -hmm. also can I just say fluctuating like shops in general like why yes. are we completely 
different sizes in different shops. <laughs> what is that? It's honestly been the most like weird out of body thing because I was always very small growing up. Like I always was very skinny and like, you know, I became an adult and I went through puberty and gained weight and things. And it's <laughs> like I the type of like contradictions you'll see in sizing where some of my shirts are small some of them are extra large it's like very out of body where I'm just like what size am I I have no perception of what I look like as a person already (laughs) but I'm like I am buying the most extra large size from these shops and I'm like I am not that large of a person like it's just weird I'm just like I'm not a plus size person and like that's great but like it also just like if your sizing is so limited that I am an extra large, like you have a problem. That is not mm-hmm. good sizing. So I just, it literally took me having to wear larger sizes to realize the sizing problem, which sounds so absolutely privileged and it is, but just even the consistency from sizes from shop to shop is just so appalling to me that also just make clothes shopping a freaking nightmare. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that kind of ranges of stuff like come and go, like, you know if you do yes. find something that really fits you well it might not be there unless you you know get loads of them at the same time yes i have bought the same sneakers three different times and they finally i have exhausted every single option on the internet in terms of oh. rebuying this shoe that went extinct 10 years ago and i'm just oh. like i should have bought another pair last time <laughs> so yeah if you can stock up you should oh yeah no i'm i'm with you on that definitely um i can't believe we have been talking for almost an hour it has gone really quickly um oh we haven't mentioned about your children's book do you have um been involved in this children's book um kind of project and it's surrounding kind of little activism so I don't know if you want to kind of tell us how you got into that shortly after I went viral on Instagram for my white privilege post um the founder of a kid's book about reached out to me like I literally was just buying the books um actually for my brother because they were expecting a baby and he was Mm -hmm. like have you ever thought about making a book and I'm like duh I didn't know you could just do that (laughs) because they're independent publishing so they reach out to me and we made my first book which is a little book about activism and then a few years later I made a whole little set which is a little book about bias and a little book about equity and like it has always been such a dream of mine to bring activism into the children's space because like one children are quite literally the future of the world and probably one of the most crucial audiences in like developing early empathy and community care skills and like two like mm-hmm. as you can probably tell i just love all things cute and illustrated so like <laughs> kids books are a big duh mm-hmm. um, so yes you can find my bundle at a kids co um i'm a little biased no pun intended uh but the two more recent bias and equity are way better in some of my best work so i don't talk about the early one that much it was okay, okay. so how so how I'm just having a look at the website now how many how many have you have you made sorry was it three did you say yes yeah it's the three which are the little book about and they're for like a younger age group so they're like board books their other books actually don't usually have illustration in them so I was like no gross I want to draw oh I feel like they're missing a trick there like of course you want to draw also the fact that you can like write and draw like that's you know you really are owning that book yeah (laughs) I'm just having a look at them oh they're so cute I love also like the tactile-ness of a board book is so satisfying yes it's so good like I am a full-grown adult but I'm like I like to thumb through it especially with like my niece and stuff and she can't read any of it but I'm just like oh it's a nice little feeling I love little kids books yeah and also to be like you know maybe when she's a little bit older and can understand like you'd be like I actually made this (laughs) 
Like, yeah, I feel like she just like is confused. I'm like, I made this, and she's like, okay, buddy. Like, sure you did. <laughs> You're like, oh, why wouldn't you appreciate this? <laughs> <laughs> I think now would be a good time for you to mention the many uh, places you are on the internet, so people can. Um, find you via your links and i'll make sure to put them all in the show notes as well perfect um yes corn here you can find my art and design accounts on social media at courtney on design for my autistic special interest account you can find me at candy.corn and lastly you can shop my books at a kids co and all my artwork at courtneyondesign.com amazing that was beautifully delivered do you want to like do a podcast as a host <laughs> you should definitely um, you should do a podcast <laughs> I've been always told I have a nice voice but I think I have a very annoying voice um but I do practice my voice a lot so maybe that's where it helps <laughs> oh do you I feel like I wonder if that is an autistic thing as well like practicing your voice like your tone and stuff like I get that yes. <laughs> I just always got told that I was very monotone growing up so then I overcorrected. so now I think I talk too enthusiastically sometimes so I'm just like wow look at this guys <laughs> and I'm like okay like tone it down corn like you're gonna scare people so I'm like <laughs> I also listen to a lot of podcasts and I know <laughs> there's like a podcast accent and it is the funniest oh, yeah. thing to me and I love it and I feel like you don't have it but some of those true crime podcasts like they always just like take these pauses and they were like and then he was dead and it's just like so dramatic <laughs> and I just like I love that I would love to have that storytelling aspect just in my daily yeah. conversations it would annoy the heck out of people but I oh. think it's so interesting and I love to mimic like people's cadence and tones so mm-hmm. I'm all over the place no one knows what I actually sound like it's different every day <laughs> you're an enigma you just take on you yes. know inspiration from places yeah I definitely yes. get that like there's a real kind of radio voice and true crime podcasts oh my god the way they're like I think is it like intonation where they like people's voices kind of go up and down like oh yeah it, there's like a rhythm I'm like are y'all mm. taking the same like master class like what is yeah. it like <laughs> how do I speak like this <laughs> yeah yeah I'm with you um okay well um if you ever want to start a podcast I think you should because I don't think you sound monotone and I think <laughs> enthusiasm is only a good thing <laughs> well I appreciate that I've been wanting to start a podcast forever but I'm like what would I have to talk about also me making all this content all the time so yeah I appreciate honestly, that if you just turn like plug a mic in you'll be surprised at like <laughs> the things you're like and this happened and then this happened and then it just yeah it kind of um spirals out of control like I do rambly podcast episodes because Sometimes it's good to just be like, this thing happened. <laughs> I so. love that, though. I love rambly podcasts, too. Like, I love really structured ones that are like stories, but I'm like, I am bad at how much podcasts I consume these days. I'll listen to mm-hmm. literally anything, and that is my <laughs> toxic trait. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, thank you so much for coming um, on my podcast and for chatting about all all things corn-related. Um, and I'll make sure to put the... Um, links in the show notes and please will you give bean and chappy a little pat from me please thank you of course i was gonna do that anyway but please pass yes. on <laughs> pass on my regards <laughs> yes i will let the gentleman and gentlewoman know that you pass your regards amazing <laughs> thank you <laughs>